I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by, powered by, sponsored by LaCole. Here with Benji Nyson on a pretty standard Tuesday afternoon. We've just watched Criterion did open a stage three, the intercontinental intermediate mid-season Climby Sprinty Boy Championships on this finish. <laughs> it's the perfect one for it. 172Ks, got some climbs in the middle of oh, the first half of the stage that won't bother any of the guys here, and then rolling hills that also won't bother anyone. And it's all about the final 3Ks of this race. A bit tricky too. There's like a hairpit 270-degree left-hand turn with 2.2Ks to go that GC contenders want to be careful to be in the front wheels for in case there's a crash in that corner it's it's wide at least and and the final is is difficult it's one of those ones that it, it was more difficult than it seemed you know, 2.3 k's at three and a half percent but the last 700 meters as benji said 5.7 to six percent average gradient which is not false flat at all we had aaron baru called braley Askren as favorites but if it's harder Kwiatkowski and Valverde as pure punchers should be in with a shout for this stage. But we had a break, Benji, and I, <laughs> I, was gonna, I saw the break. I was like, ah, oh, they can't win. And I was like, holy shit. I said that last two days, but today they really <laughs> couldn't win, right? Yeah, that's true. Loic Fliegen and uh, Omri Goldstein were in the breakaway. And in all honesty, those riders are not necessarily the ones that are going to bring it home with two in the breakaway because Loic Fleen's a strong rider through the Wallonie last year as well. Also did decent on some Ardennes races as well already. And I think in Provence, he also did a pretty good run. But um, all in all, that break wasn't going to make it if the Peloton actually decided to decently pace today. And it seems like they did. They learned their lesson of the last two days and they did put people at the front end, which teams were mainly trying to get their breakaway caught so that their candidate for the stage victory could go for it? Well, it wasn't Bahrain too much today. I think they were justifiably a bit miffed. I would have been if I was them over the last two days, no one helping them. Bora were pacing a fair bit, actually. I think Bora were keen on Perstelberger retaining the yellow jersey for an additional day. So they were showing out at the front quite a lot. Tony Martin was getting some reps in pre Tour de France. On the front, no sunnies, of course, despite the blazing sunshine. <laughs> Ineos, it was pretty much a whole a team effort from everybody. Lotto Sudal as well, particularly late. They almost caught the break by default. They were all fanned out across the road. It wasn't single file all day like when Harlow was pacing uh, yesterday. So pretty much a team effort. And what I was really interested in for this finish was who was going to ride for who? Was Narsen and Van Avermaet, were they going to set up Venturini or was everyone going to ride for themselves? Would Yoni Zagira try and lead out uh, Aaron Baru? Would Michael Björk, was he on? He was on lead out duties. He was doing a good job, the young Dane on UAE, but was he riding for Christoph or McNulty? And would Ineos free Kwiatkowski? And we, we got the answer pretty quickly. So Fliegen and Goldstein were caught. Fliegen went up the road, I think, trying to get the competitivity prize. Caught with 20Ks to go, and they all pretty much 
quick run-in, really quick run-in. And then actually there was a crash before we get to the finish. There was a crash, Benji. Um, do, you, do you actually see what caused that? Uh, I didn't see what caused it because we had a helicopter shot right at that moment and there were trees in the way and we saw a few riders lying on the ground at the back. And the most notable candidate lying on the ground was Guillaume Martin, who actually had a bit of a rip in his shirt at the back. So definitely was one of the riders that hit the ground. And he instantly had two teammates waiting for him. So as leader, that's a normal thing. They were looking after him. They were checking, is his bike okay? Okay, we don't need to give a bike. And the second that he was back on the bike, they pushed extremely hard to bring that back. And because of this crash, there was actually a bit of a split going on in the peloton. And Guillaume Martin was caught in the second group accordingly, trying to bring that second group back. And it wasn't until like a few kilometers before that hill started near the end that Guillaume Martin was brought back to the group. So a bit of a last minute save. Crash didn't happen in the last three kilometers, so they had to save it. And in all honesty, Cofidis did what they had to to bring Guillaume Martin back in the group to keep him in contention for GC. And they did that perfectly because, well, in that front group, we saw not necessarily that one team was pacing the front group. It was, I think, multiple teams like in a row, a lot of trains next to each other. But the most notable one was perhaps the one that is just trying to keep their leaders safe. And that's Ineos. They always do this. And this time around, they were doing that again. Did you think that there was a chance that they would let Mr. Polish Kwiat off his leash today? No, I didn't. When I saw the their formation, I didn't think they would. Uh, before I finish that thought, I just want to mention I saw uh, there's two things from our show partner, LaCole, that I want to mention before they run out. Firstly, LRCP20 for 20% off at checkout. That's the zero code. It's going to expire pretty shortly. So if you want to get the 20% discount, you can do that without doing any extra effort. But there's also the LaCole McLaren Project Aero Strava Challenge, which means you have to do a little bit of work. You can go into a draw to win the complete LaCole McLaren Project Aero collection if you ride 160Ks or receive a 50-pound, which is like, I don't know how many euro, Benji. I only know pounds and AUD. It's like 80, 100. <laughs> 200 i don't know how many australian dollars that is maybe someone can comment down below <laughs> how much that is uh but you can receive that as well for the lacole mclaren project aero strava challenge but on ineos speaking of britain and lacole i saw their formation it was amador then he was flicking i think uh rodriguez or oh, rodriguez at the back gegenhart was at the back and then it was kwiatkowski and they, they basically used kwiatkowski for thomas and but then I thought, well, okay, maybe they're thinking Thomas. He's got like the track background. He has a quick finish sometimes. If he goes with like eight hundred meters to go and catches people napping, maybe that's what they're trying to set up. But it was mostly to me trying to keep Thomas in the first five wheels through the left hand corner at two point two, and then it got really hairy. And it's a weird finish. It's it's weird because. There's no defined sprint leadouts. There's no team with three guys with two Ks to go, which isn't even that many in a sprint leadout. But there's no teams with three guys leading out with two Ks to go. There's no consistent team taking control. It's like Lotto with one rider, bring Wellens forward, and then he the, the domestic drops off. Björg brings Mignolti and Christoph forward, then he drops off. And it was really, I think Bora were trying to keep Purstelberg up there in case there was a split. And all that hairiness, and it's a wide road, but there's still fights for position. There was a bit of a coming together between, I think, Schwarzman and Colbrelli with about 1,700 metres to go, where I think the back wheel of Quickstep Rider moves across, 
and pushes Schwarzman to the right. He then nearly chops Cold Brelly, and then Cold Brelly reacts similarly to the way Bennett did to Quintana, not as bad by shoulder-checking Schwarzman in his right hip. Why was that move so dangerous, Benji, and why are these moves like that um, have the potential to bring down the whole bunch? Well, if you're in that position like Schwarzman was, he was just checked on the left side, forcing him to the right side. He's trying to keep his balance between multiple riders. And then if Colbrelli uh, takes a bit of a, a subtle revenge by trying to pass him and use his shoulder to try and move him to the left, then it can be very dangerous because, well, Schwarzman can be the best bike handler in the world. But if people keep pushing you at some point, it's going to become dangerous. And that push actually pushed him way more to the left than I would anticipate with a push. Cobrelli's not a small guy, so I'm pretty sure if I get shouldered by Cobrelli on a bike, I'd be in the ditch two seconds later. But uh, Schwartzman actually had to, uh, well, he deviated a bit, well, because of the shoulder barge into his uh, right side. And that caused, well, a lot of upset with the riders behind because him moving to the left causes the other rider to have to react and then the other rider needs to react and then another rider needs to react. And just like that, 12 riders had to go for a different line than initially planned. And if one of those riders does not react fast enough, then a portion of the peloton is going down then. So Cobrelli with a dangerous maneuver there, in all honesty. And uh, eventually the race continued onwards from that point. He didn't get disqualified. I think Schwarzman came up the right-hand side and we didn't see, but he looked like he was about to have some pretty stern words with Cole Braley. And we've got a weird finish. It's, as I said, seven, 600 metres, 700 metres at about 6%. And it's actually Aaron Baru who jumps super early, the Astana rider, Benji's favourite rider, jumps early, gaps everybody else. And I think it was actually, it was Kwiatkowski beforehand who was leading out and he was... Kwiatkowski was done, but no one was willing to take it up because he's got Cole Brelli on his wheel. He's got so, such a big distance to the line. And Thomas doesn't want to accelerate from them. Maybe he didn't have the legs. And, yeah, Aaron Baru jumps on the left-hand side. Cole Brelli, seeing no one closing to Aaron Baru, jumps to his wheel, or not immediately, by the way. He's having to do it in the wind. And that's a, the correct decision because this is like one of those moments where, oh, wow, he had the best legs today, but he came second just because he didn't make the right decision in that moment. Cole Brelli might have thought someone else closed this because we've still got so far to the finish, but he didn't. He jumped across to Aaron Brew's wheel. Aaron Brew's weaving around, trying to deny the drag. Eventually, Cole Brelli goes around, and it's like the definition of a um, punch up to this finish. It was harder than we anticipated. They seem to be going much slower, like they're throwing the bikes all over the place and Cole Brelli comes around Aaron Baru. We saw 50 metres go. I was like, oh, they're about to cross the finish line. There's still seemingly another 10 seconds left and uh, Cole Brelli wins easily. Once again, the man with the best legs in the finish three days in a row, second, second and today first, finally after there was no breakaway. So a really dominant win from Cole Brelli. What I want to ask Benji is, is Cole, I'll do the top 10 first. Sorry, I'll do this. I always do this. Make this mistake. <laughs> I'll ask Benji the question. Cole Brelli first, Aaron Brew second, big gap uh, after Aaron Brew. Brandon McNulty third. This is why this is such a bizarre finish. This top 10 is so odd. McNulty third, Sturvin fourth, Kelderman fifth, Venturini sixth, Barbero Russo Wellens Askren 10th. The big man missing out is Valverde in 11th. I mean, looking at how hard this finish was, I I can't believe he didn't come top three. 
uh, particularly when you see McNulty up there and Kelderman in fifth. He's got better punch than them, one would think. But my question is, Benji, to you, is Colbrelli a different level this year? He's not a man that's won a lot of World Tour races regularly in the past. Romney is one and he's one here. Is he a different level or are we just missing riders like Alaphilippe, up and up, Matthew van der Poel, who one would think would be cleaning him up on this sort of finish? Well, a combination of both. First of all, it feels like he's finally found what he wants to try and ride for, for these spongy, hilly stage sprints. And he actually mentioned that, I think, uh, a few weeks ago in an interview that he feels like he might have finally found what he's good at. But I've got the feeling that we've known for quite a while that he can do this. I think he won Bravo on Sapel four or five years ago. I don't remember which year, but that was impressive. A group of yeah. eight with the likes of Philip Gilbert when he was still at a top, well, a decent hilly level. And Cobrelli just basically destroyed that group in the final sprint after them being the stronger riders in that stage, basically hill-wise. And it's not the first time. I just feel like he's tried a lot to be a pure sprinter in just flat finishes. And he's played out a lot like that. He's also played out a lot in hilly sprints. And so far, that has been always his best quality in my eyes. I think that his problem is that at what he does, there's a lot of riders that are now shining. Fanad, like you said, Vanderpool. So that's a bit of a combination. He found what he what he needs to try for, but he's also got the problem that there's a lot of people that can do what he does, and quite a few of them do it better. Nonetheless, I really enjoy seeing Colbrelli. I feel like he's one of the sprinters that can climb the best just in general over hills. It's not necessarily just a final hilly sprint. He can also get over hills. And that's just compared to, for example, Fabio Jakobsen, who is still on, on his comeback. But I think the Koenig said this morning that this is a stage they're going to pull Jakobsen for, but when I looked at the parkour, when I knew what the finish was like, there's no way in hell that Jakobsen can finish here in the top five unless he suddenly is a puncher, which is unlikely. So I find that a very weird choice by the Koenig on this stage, for example, while a team like Bahrain knows that with Colbrelli, they've got a perfect option to try and take the stage here and Colbrelli was by far the strongest today. I think Aramburu, I'm not sure uh, whether I'm... I'm not sure what to think about him going early yet. I haven't yeah, thought a, about he's it. Just, he's just a version of Colbrelli. They're very similar riders. I think Aramburu's a, a, a better climber than Colbrelli. I think uh, he's a worse sprinter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Flat sprinter, Colbrelli is quicker, but uh, I think Aramburu... Yeah, Aramburu's got a bit... Something different to his game. I think Colbrelli and Matthews are very yeah. similar, very similar sort of riders. And when I mentioned, I'm looking at his Palmares, Colbrelli now, Benji. He hadn't won a World Tour race since 2018, Tour de Suisse Stage 3. Oh, yeah. And then Romandy was his first World Tour race. Now Dauphiné, probably his biggest ever stage race win, I think. Robanzi Pale's not World Tour, but I kind of rate that more almost. Did he uh, never win a Giro stage? He's never won a he, year at Italia oh, stage. Wasn't he the guy that got passed in like the last 100 meters by somebody? I swear I remember that. If anybody remind, can remind us of that, a Giro stage where Cobrelli got passed in Bardiani days. Okay. This is where people... We, I was just going to... I was saying your name because he hasn't done the Giro since 2016. You look at the stages Ulysses has won at the Giro d'Italia. You look at the type of finishes the Giro has. Even at Torino Adriatico, remember that three-kilometer weird stage that... 
uh, where, you know, the one that was kind of uphill draggy, he would have been perfect yeah. for. He, he's done the Tour de France 17, 18, 19, 20. It just seems like his Palmares have been ruined a little bit by being sent to the wrong races. It doesn't suit him. He's not... He's a worse. He's always. He's been a worse version of Sagan, right? At the tour, he's not as good as someone mm-hmm. like Sagan. So even if he, even if there's a perfect stage for him, Why or not there's the been Vuelta? Peter Sagan, who's like, yeah, or the Vuelta. He's done the Vuelta zero times. So I, I feel like this is maybe a topic for the off season. Someone write it down. Rider pal, Palmares and, and race allocation for riders can have a massive influence on how much they win. And we're seeing here that, you know, at the Dauphiné with these sort of finishes for Colbrelli, perfect for him, the Giro, we think. Um, but, yeah, what Aaron Brew, Benji, what do you think is his sort of upside? Um, do you think he's a, a stage racing attacker? He won it from Basque Country from like an attack, not really a sprint. Uh, is he a worse version of Colbrelli or, or different, as you said? I think he is pretty all round because we've had that stage in, I think it was Provence where Ballerini won on an uphill section at the end in a, in a sprint. Aramburu came third, if I recall correctly, in that stage, which means that this type of stage like today is definitely within his book. This is what he can do. But so far, he's always found someone that is better in the races that he's doing it in. And he's also an attacker because. In the Vuelta, he's gone into multiple breakaways before. He's very attacking in that sense. He's got the qualities in descending to try and ride away in the last few kilometers from a group. But the problem is that every single time, he seems to run into someone that is better than him at what he's doing. But with the growth that he's showing since the days that he came from Caja Rural, it's insane. Like I'm expecting more from him. And I think that Aramburu, like, bias aside, Genuinely, I believe that Aramburu can win a Vuelta stage. And I believe that Aramburu is perfect to send to every Vuelta in his career. Just like Colbrelli should have gone to a Vuelta by now. Because Aramburu will likely do so because he's Spanish. So I'm guessing that as a consequence, he will likely be in the Vuelta quite a lot of times in his career mode. In his career. Wow. <laughs> and um, Well, that's yeah. what's crazy, Benji. You're talking about race allocation. I think Colbrelli is better than Magnus Court. I think he's quicker than him. I think he's generally been yeah. better than Magnus Court. But Magnus Court gets sent to the right races. He's got three, at least three Vuelta stage wins. He's got a Tour de France stage win, Paris stage wins, multiple, including this year. He's just a guy that they send him to the right races when he's on EF and previously at Astana, and, and he's able to win those climbing sprinty boy sprints uh, <laughs> like Colbrelli today but that's probably enough on climbing sprinty boys uh tomorrow is the tt 17 k's long 320 meters of elevation gain in this tt it is constantly up and down we have an intermediate time check seven and a half k's in the climbs are 700 meters six percent 2.4 k's four and a half percent little rolling ridge line then a k at four percent 1.4 k's at four percent to finish i see this clearly between two riders for the stage uh, McNulty and Thomas Benji, and Ooh, I, I've I don't. got McNulty. I've got McNulty slightly ahead. Oh, who's your pick? I'm gonna say Kasper Asgren as my pick for this stage. He had a good time ah. trial in that race that he did, where Hater won that climb. Was it Algarve where he won the time trial? Asgren. 
He's done good rolling hills, time trials in the past. Thomas, indeed, and the other pick you just mentioned, McNulty, are ideal for this. But I feel like Osgreen should be mentioned definitely as a potential co-favorite, personally. That's a good call. I was saying, what the fuck are you thinking? And I look at, he's in the last month, he's won this Algarve TT, 20Ks long. <laughs> it's got a climb five. Uh, 600 meters at 5.3 percent and 500 meters at 7.2 percent. I, I dare say it doesn't have as much climbing. Yeah, that's true. As tomorrow's, it's got more two punches. Uh, but yeah, Asgren, that's that was a 51k an hour average TT. Uh, I just think McNulty at Basque was lovely. He beat Thomas at Catalonia true. in the TT. Uh, so if, if he hadn't, and I'm basing it because he came third today. Because if he hadn't come third today, I would have been like, oh, what's his motivation like? What's his legs like? Stage one got dropped. I know he had the mechanical came back, but still not good signs. But third today, he's clearly up for it. He's never won a World Tour race. He hasn't won since, I think, Giro de Cecilia uh, GC in a stage in 2019. He'll be wanting to get a World Tour win. And uh, I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, McNulty tomorrow. And Thomas for GC, surely Thomas. uh, Will Barton? He's a good shout as well. Kelderman did, has done good TTs already for Bora Hansgrohe. Mikhail Björk. What about Björk, Benji? I don't know if it's too hard for him, the hilly aspect of it, but he's definitely a good TTer. It's just been a while since I've seen Mikhail Björk in the top results in TTs. But it's similar to the Yorkshire yeah. one that he won. Under, yeah, I know it was indeed. under 23. Like, similar. The thing is, like time trial is like Peterson and such. He crashed out today, I think. He is not. Uh, yeah, finished the stage, so him on that parkour likely, I think, wouldn't have climbed that well. But if you look at it, I dare to say, also potentially look at Josef Cherny as a bit of an outsider for the stage, and Richie. those are kind of in it. Richie Port, yeah, could do well, but I don't see him winning. So Catalonia, he came sixth in the TT, and that was a bit rolly, and he was, let's see five, six seconds behind Almeida and McNulty. And then Thomas had a bad TT. I think he was like 13 seconds behind uh, Richie Port. So, yeah, maybe Thomas wasn't motivated. But, yeah, I see it as Port and Thomas will be the best of the GC men, in my view, Um, and Kelderman probably the third. Kreuzweig, I mean, Kreuzweig did a good TT at Catalonia too. I don't know. I I think it would be a really interesting time trial, just more data points ahead of the Tour de France. Another Rolly TT, similar to some of the ones we've got in the tour. Um, it's yeah, it's just an, an interesting TT. But I'll be going with McNulty. But I don't know what the betting odds will say about that. But yeah, Dauphiné's been better today and more interesting tomorrow. And then <laughs> after the, I mean, yeah, last two stages. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then we've got the mountains coming up. We've got some nasty mountains. And then Tour de Swiss. And then Slovenia, perhaps if Roglic actually flies over there suddenly. Well, apparently Matthew Van der Poel's doing the Tour de Swiss, Benji. I didn't know that. But Van der Poel's oh, doing Swiss. Oh, that's cool. And uh, maybe Pidcock, so he or she'll be doing it. So, I mean, if if anyone's got a spare moment, you've had a look, Benji. What's the parkour looking like at Swiss? Well, I haven't looked at every stage, but I know that stage six and eight <laughs> are pretty heavy mountain stages. And those ones are special because one takes the same parkour from the one side and the other one just goes in the opposite direction and takes the entire parkour <laughs> as well. So it, it's kind of really fun to see the San Gattardo climb that we saw in Tour de Suisse 
um, also before. I think the Finnish and Undermud on stage eight. So looking forward to that. But uh, first of all, let's try and uh, enjoy Dauphiné as a separate uh, buffet. Indeed. All right. We'll see you with the recap of the TT tomorrow, everybody. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 